Where Mothman is, UFO sightings are there as well. Some people have even seen Mothman and UFOs sort of shapeshift into each other. Anyone that had seen the Mothman came to an early death. The people that had actually seen and had the accounts of witnessing the Mothman were the ones that died. Mothman is that sort of interdimensional traveler. How ridiculous of a story Godzilla is, and yet how strangely close to some truth that it is at the same time. They can teach dolphins how to protect ships or how to spy. They wanted to use a crocodile in a way that they can control it behaviorally. So were you able to determine in the remote viewing data that any of those crocodiles were still alive and in the, that river that it escaped into? That was the first nuclear site created to support the Manhattan Project, the original building of the first atomic bomb. Have you ever heard of the mysterious black bird of Chernobyl spotted lurking around before the fateful nuclear accident? Have you heard of animals with bizarre characteristics found at nuclear power plants or strange creatures appearing at bomb sites in the years that followed explosions? Is there shocking proof that the Abyss and Godzilla are more documentary than fiction? Hold on to your hats because the Metaphysical Podcast is going down all of these rabbit holes today and missing nuclear bombs are just the beginning of the nuclear nonsense we found this week. But that's just some of the investigative research from me, Rob Counts. Just wait until you hear the remote viewing data John Vivanco's team found about non-human inter-country spies and radioactive cryptids. Then there are so many really weird stories, info that contradicts official government reports, and more. So let's get started with this show that's seriously going to be out of this world. And are you listening to the Metaphysical uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple, or elsewhere? Just go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review. It's going to help us reach even more people. We really, truly appreciate that. Remember, like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube, Rumble, Ganjing, World Twitter, Facebook, wherever you are, so you don't miss out on any of this great content. John, how you doing? I'm doing well. How do we even start this conversation? I mean... It's it's a big nuclear meltdown in and of itself, actually. It's yeah, like a, I know. There's so many like avenues here that it's, you know, I think maybe probably the beginning, you know, yeah. starting near the beginning of this. Yeah. So I think really the the only way to kind of ease into this is really to talk about some of the top nuclear site meltdowns of all time, which is a really yeah. interesting list to begin with uh when you when you kind of start looking at this and and this is a this is a kind of a good list that i found here from the process industry forum and and it goes through the five worst nuclear disasters in history starting with the least to the to the worst i'm not sure if you know how they they kind of uh, rate these, but they're they're like there are incident levels, and then there are um, you know kind of more disastrous levels, right? And the level five, so level four through seven, I think it is, or five through seven, are the more serious uh, meltdowns or incidents that have occurred. Actually, they call those accidents. 
So the accidents are are the more serious and the incidents are more just negligence and things like that. Like a Homer Simpson incident. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> right. Him eating a donut and drooling right. on, you know, the the analog panel and, and it causing some kind of problem. Um, but yeah, these that we're about to discuss are accidents more than anything. I'm not sure if you've heard of this one. You probably... All of you at home have probably heard about these at different points in your lives as they've just come up for different reasons. But number five on this list is the Three Mile Island nuclear accident. So it was a partial meltdown. It happened on March 28, 1979, and it was the most serious accident in U.S. nuclear power plant history. And it was caused by a relief valve failure after an unplanned shutdown causing severe damage to the core there. Better instrumentation, training programs, and public information would have vastly improved matters, but luckily there were no injuries or discernible health impacts. So this actually was still considered a level five, but it was a very, not, not too bad. Like it could have been a lot worse than it, than it actually was. Yeah, you know, I think too, they, they really play these things down as much as possible. Yeah, because people get very upset <laughs> and you know i mean that's going into the environment it's going into the water it's going into the ground into the groundwater it's like and how long how long's the half-life on that and yeah i mean that's that's scary stuff that 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 people are going to absolutely freak out on so authorities are always you know squishing that kind of information down right <clears throat> well and this next one is from the uk and this was the wind scale um fire nuclear disaster. So this was on October 10th, 1957, where a raging inferno swept through the core of Unit 1 nuclear reactor at Windscale Cumberland, now Sellafield, Cumbria. That's what it's called now, for three days. The Level 5 accident dumped radioactive contamination across Europe, and it's thought that traces of isotope iodine-131 may have caused several hundred cancer diagnoses. Windscale's two piles had been hastily built during the British atomic bomb project, and it was the UK's worst ever nuclear accident. Now, the next three are a little bit more telling and have more to do with the rest of this episode for different reasons, or these two episodes. So the first is, uh, I may be pronouncing this wrong, so excuse me if I am, but the, the Kaishtim nuclear disaster. Now, this was the third most serious nuclear accident in history, and it happened at the secretive Mayek plant near the Russian town of Kaishtim, part of the Soviet Union's attempt to match the U.S. for weapons-grade plutonium production. And so after a faulty cooling system was left to disrepair, rising temperatures resulted in an explosion with the equivalent force of, ready for this, 70 to 100 tons of TNT. Jeez. Yeah, man. Nuclear fallout reached more than 300 kilometers away. And due to the classified nature of the plant, it was only a week later that the 10,000 locals were evacuated from the area. Who knows how many heads and different arms they grew after that. Right. Like well, that's the thing. It's like, it's like they, they, they want to squish down the information, even, even to the point of telling people to evacuate after they've been completely exposed, because that's when people are going to start to notice it. Oh, shoot. They're noticing that they've been irradiated. We better like tell them to evacuate now. 
It is actually amazing how on point The Simpsons was with all of the different types of humor that it had in there. It was so extremely on point with social issues that humans are facing, like the three eyed fish, you know, the nuclear power plant that Homer, who's the biggest idiot in the entire, you know, show is is in charge of, you know, he's in like the control room. 50% more fish eyes. Oh man, that's a great ad that Lindsay just pulled up. There's like a a billboard in the Simpsons of of that three-eyed fish and it says 50% more fish eyes. <laughs> Keep in mind Kaishtim was was Russia, Soviet Union, right? Uh, that that'll mean something when we get to number 1 on the list, which I'm sure you can all imagine what that is. But number 2 is Fukushima nuclear disaster. The Fukushima nuclear disaster was not really the fault of the Japanese, the way that that last one was probably the fault of the Soviets in every single way, shape, and form. Uh, it happened on Friday 11th, yeah, March 2011. And this is when the, the Great East Japan earthquake, which me measured 9.0 on the Richter scale, happened, caused a 15-meter tsunami that disabled the power supply and prompted three reactor meltdowns at the Fukushima Daiichi plant. And official figures suggest that more than 1,000 deaths occurred as a result of the evacuation process that displaced more than 100,000 people. Subsequent investigations suggested that the infrastructure and risk forecasting were inadequate for such a devastating natural disaster. It was only the second accident in history to receive the most severe level seven, seven rating. So this was a level seven rating and this was number two and level seven is as high as it goes, John. So number one was the Chernobyl nuclear disaster. All right. So the Chernobyl nuclear disaster and Chernobyl happens to be a large part of the conversation in this episode, mind you, but this is considered the worst nuclear power plant accident ever in terms of death toll and cost. Now, the only other level seven accident happened on the 26th of April, 1986, when a steam explosion destroyed reactor number four at the Ukrainian plant. Resulting fires spread huge amounts of radioactive waste across Western Europe, killing around 30 people from acute radiation poisoning in the immediate aftermath and raising long-term fears. Increased instances of thyroid cancer the World Nuclear Association says, quote, the nuclear disaster was the product of a flawed Soviet reactor design coupled with serious mistakes made by the plant operators. And we all know, like when when people are talking about radiation and, and crazy, everyone brings up Chernobyl across the world. So lots of people know about this accident. Right. But I think well, there's not a, a lot. There's one of like TV shows around this, too. Like there's a TV show. That's there's true. like. Uh, ghost hunting TV shows have gone there and have actually captured stuff on film. So the place is haunted for sure. Obviously, because of the nuclear explosion, or does that come from the past? Probably from the nuclear meltdown uh, that happened there. But there's, there's, there's ample evidence that there's a paranormal activity going on there. Lindsay's reminding me of something right now. Someone on our team actually lived very close like not far from the Chernobyl uh, incident. They were basically, they said that the officials just told everyone things were fine afterwards. There were no radiation warnings or anything, which is like right. total nonsense. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. This is, that's the standard. I mean, it, it's kind of like governments are afraid of putting people into a panic so much so that they will not tell them of impending doom that they know is coming even because, Hey, they don't want to clog up the freeways, especially when everybody has a, a electric car and they all run out of electricity at the same electric charging station when they're trying to evacuate. <laughs> right. Well, so we're going to kind of weave in and out of, of the Chernobyl for, for a few minutes, but they like different governments were doing lots of different nuclear tests to see whether humans could survive nuclear blasts. They would do these experiments on animals and things like that. And I ended up d kind of diving into this a little bit and found that there was this one really really, I call it shameful test that was done on pigs where they were testing nuclear blasts on pigs and filming the entire thing. What's crazy is where humans could not survive, the pigs did survive and ended up with 80% of their bodies totally burned, right? And in some of these sites, that's a, is that a real picture right there? What is that stream of light? at the top of that mushroom cloud. That was part of Operation Plum Bob, which involved the pigs. Oh, this was it. Man, look at that almost looks like an incandescent bulb. Yeah. With that like one stream of light. I want that's so weird. It could, you know, it could be the shock wave and the way the camera um, uh, took the picture could be just isolating the it doesn't have the sensitivity to pick up the actual like more um semi-opaque uh mm. shockwave coming out of it and that could be that like the outer ring of the shockwave moving out of it maybe i yeah, don't know could be. either way very very s strange picture there's been stories of like you you've got these so different animals kind of have more I guess you could say resilience towards some of this radioactivity. Definitely. Yeah. And in like some of the rivers around Chernobyl, you've got like massive sized catfish. Actually, I think, I think catfish. that they, they saw the catfish in the containment pond, the massive ones like nuclear yes. waste in the containment pond um, at Chernobyl. I guess it was at Chernobyl where they, there were massive catfish in there didn't know why i mean catfish can get pretty massive so so maybe they're just just e they're the ones eating everything they're the top predator and they just keep getting bigger and bigger right it's weird because we're talking about the probably the most radioactive body of water on the planet that we're aware of right right yeah well you know you bring up you bring up this this uh how pigs uh survived right and there's yeah where maybe a human wouldn't survive did you know that the Chinese had were mixing um, tardigrade? You know what a tardigrade is? What's tardigrade? Um, a tardigrade. Lindsay, maybe Lindsay can pull a picture up. A tardigrade is a, a micro, microscopic creature. Oh, those, yes. Those guys, right? So, so the Chinese have mixed tardigrade DNA with human stem cells and have created well i'm sure that they've taken it this level and 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 actually put it into living human stem cells where they have created radiation resistance radiation resistance to create super soldiers oh my god so this is a popular mechanics 
article, uh, we're going to get right back to what John just said, but this article that's up right now says scientists put tardigrade DNA into human stem cells. They may create super soldiers. Right. So this makes it okay to get into a nuclear war. <laughs> yeah, because now we've got super soldiers that can can survive it. Right, exactly. Hey, I'm part tardigrade. I can survive this. Lindsay, can you pull up that first image that you had of the tardigrade? I just want to I just want to look at it for a second. Like for those of you at home that are listening right now, if you don't know what a tardigrade is, I mean, this thing looks like an animal if the animal was a vacuum cleaner bag. <laughs> a rhinoceros vacuum cleaner bag. I have no idea what that like. It is the strangest little thing ever. It's got these little claws and it has a um like a, a nose that almost looks like it's a, like the the head of a vacuum cleaner or something. And I think there are teeth, sharp teeth in there or something. Look at that. Look at that, that looks, yeah, it looks like a vacuum cleaner bag. Like that looks more like a analog machine than it does an, an animal. Tardigrades are AI. I don't know what that is, man. That's how, like, I like, what is the scale of this thing? And that's so weird. They're, they're, they're microscopic. Like right. they're, they're really tiny. I don't know. I, I really don't know what their purpose is. I, <clears throat> I don't know. These things are amazing though. And, yeah. and it, it's even, it's absolutely incredible that they would be mixing that with that DNA with human stem cells to try to create a soldier that is resistant to radiation. Because wow. they are resistant to radiation. Tardigrades are resistant to radiation right. basically, right? Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, it would, scientifically speaking, it sounds like a really smart idea. Biologically speaking, it sounds terrifying. <laughs> I mean, you're going to end up, like your offspring are going to end up with a yeah. circular, like, router mouth. Yeah, like, what would the human look like that, that, that came out from mixing those two things? Like, would it still look like a human, or would it look like Large March? The, the, the Atlanteans probably did that. You know, we're going back <laughs> yes. to Atlantis. Time. <laughs> Dude. Oh, let's mix human DNA with tardigrade DNA. See what happens. Oh, well, we got ourselves another minotaur, tardigrade minotaur. Now, I had heard about this in, in the past on different occasions, but I'd never really looked that into it. And it turns out this was a good week to look into this cryptid. But there were allegedly reports that the months and weeks leading up to the Chernobyl disaster that everyone at the the um, plant were seeing a creature. It was n called the black bird of Chernobyl because this thing reportedly had wings. Uh, some of the reports said that it had these very strange red glowing eyes. Now we've got a humanoid creature, 20 foot wingspan, again, allegedly, glowing red eyes. And what does that sound like to you? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the Mothman, right? Yeah. The harbinger of doom. Yeah, almost exactly the Mothman. And I mean, Lindsay's picked up uh, or pulled up an image for those of you listening of basically Dracula. It looks like a half bat, half man. Are you ready for a thrilling journey into the unknown? Lucida Somnia is the must-listen science fiction podcast that will take you on a heart-pumping journey through the shadowy world 
of government experiments and conspiracy theories. Follow Kendra and Michael, two daring teenagers with telekinetic powers, in a race against the clock to uncover the truth. Set in 1991, Lucidus is a podcast experience you won't want to miss. Go to luciddreamspodcast.com for the ride of a lifetime. That's luciddreamspodcast.com. Attention, witches! This is Nina Moreau broadcasting a special alert from the Grimoire Society. We ask that witches please remember to subscribe to the new monthly newsletter. While we love psychically sending you every spell, recipe, penny dreadful, and conjure advice that we have, spirit representatives have asked that we cease clogging up the ether. We have contracted a special team of messenger pigeons to deliver your monthly newsletter directly to your doorstep. For only $5, you can sign up for this elusive serial at www.thegrimoiresociety.com. Remember, this notice is for witches only. If you are not a witch and have somehow come across this broadcast, you will forget all that you've heard in three, two friggin' weird movie that was that beast in dracula was super weird like when he turns into the half bat but nothing was weirder than gary oldman as like drac like dracula with the like blonde buffet haircut yeah right what 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 was that it was like it was like a 17th century wig kind of thing or something i don't know and when are wigs coming back in style for men men wore wigs way back when and that, you know, you know how fashion styles recycle, like yeah. the wigs hasn't recycled back into men. <laughs> it's a very strange thing, like very strange thing. And that think, thing looks like, yeah, it's a horrendous. I think horrendous maybe the hat. wigs never came back into style because it's one of those like periods of time that that humans will forever just be embarrassed about. It's like that period of your life where you had that haircut. You don't want anyone to see those photos of. I can't um, watch those movies. I, I just can't do it because that weird vibrational energy, whether it's a comedy or whatever, just starts to affect me. It just I know what and you then mean. They, and then they look at you. I've had periods like that. For some reason now, the amount of leads that I get from those movies a lot of times, because the directors are extremely well researched, I'm willing to sacrifice the weirdness to because like there was one line in that movie dude that blew my mind apart is when there was this monologue that uh vlad in that movie or dracula <laughs> excuse me had where he was talking about he had the bloodline of who was it it was one of these like crazy it was attila the hun wasn't it was it? attila the hun yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And he he's like he basically has this line where he's like we that he he says that he has that bloodline. And then I was like, well then who the hell is Attila the Hun? And why was that in here? Like it was just a bizarre cuz you're talking about Vlad the Impaler, who we all know the story of Vlad the Impaler. And then you've got you're bringing in Attila the Hun now, which is a more ancient, you know, psychopath back to the black bird of of Chernobyl. When the power plant melted down, now there were stories leading up to this that we'll get into, but when the power plant melted down, the people in the power plant couldn't handle what was going on. So the immediate response was to call in the military 
and have the military help. Now, the military came in and there was a lot of really bad ideas that occurred. And then people did things that they shouldn't have done that got them killed eventually because the radioactivity was so great that even if you were around this stuff for a few minutes, like you weren't allowed to, to go in and stay in for longer than 90 seconds or seven minutes, whatever it was. And then you'd get out and you'd seemingly be fine, but then you'd have like reactions in the, in the months and years after people getting exposed to large amounts of radioactivity, the military, you know, getting exposed to large amounts of radioactivity, people coming in in helicopters, trying to see what's going on. And while these people in helicopters were coming in, these people and planes as well coming in, they were seeing something fly through the clouds. This thing had like a great wingspan and it was haunting. I mean, to the point where, you know, people on the back of the plane or in the back of the helicopter, I think it was a plane in this case, you know, they they came to the front of the plane and the guys just were, had like this like insanely scared, terrified look on their face. They start asking them what's going on and then they look forward and see this thing flying through the, cl the clouds, right? Now, that coupled with uh, a story of a woman going back to her car in the parking lot in Chernobyl and she's trying to go home for the day and then she she hears some rattling out by one of the fences near the parking lot she looks over and there is a humanoid thing with glaring red eyes staring at her with a really massive wingspan and then it shot up into the air so she came in she was terrified she started telling everyone about it and this is when other people started telling their stories because everyone was scared of telling their stories because they're like well people are going to think i'm insane if i start talking about this yeah you know the thing here is that like not, apparently none of these people ever like saw the mothman prophecies or read the book uh to the john keel book because you know if i'm working there and all of a sudden everybody's claiming they're seeing a big black winged creature i mean you know what's coming next you know, and you're you're working at a nuclear power plant. Mm, yeah, <laughs> something's coming. Yeah, that's like, really like, that's really fascinating. You know, the other thing too is that there was an archaeologist, Robert Maxwell, out of Sydney, who was doing a lot of research on the Chernobyl site, and he was trying to track down these stories. So this guy is a is a um, professor uh, at the, I think the University of Sydney, and he's trying to track down the origination point of the story. And there, there were a lot of uh, a lot of different people apparently saw it, he found out, but they're all dead. Like all of them are dead now. And so you can't track and get the witness accounts anymore because they died in the disaster. There was this, this idea, I guess, that I saw when I was researching this that said anyone that had seen the Mothman came to an early death. The people that had actually seen and had the accounts of witnessing the mothman were the ones that died no it's not good but it's what's led people to believe that the that it, it this thing whatever it is is some type of harbinger of death more than it is like the thing that created the accident it's not it's more of like maybe the energy around the disaster opened up a portal and let this thing in and people were witnessing it who were about to die well yeah you know like like we've got We've got a lot of data on the Mothman. We've spoken about it in earlier episodes here before. Also on Rise TV on Chronicles of a Psychic Spy. Mothman is that sort of interdimensional 
traveler, uh, moving through um, different dimensions, sometimes really, really fast. And, and a lot of these things that happen when it comes to what specifically when it comes to um, uh, a portal opening up, death portals open up, disasters can open up death portals, for instance, right? So this, this being seems to use all different types of portals from portals that are created by natural phenomena. There's that, we see that as well, to portals that are created by, let's just say, ancient technologies, like pyramidal type structures, to portals created by nuclear energy, by disasters, by a bunch of people dying at one moment in time, that creates a death portal. And so that being uses all these things to move in and out. And so this being is also not constrained by time in the least bit. So that's why it can show up before these things happen as well, right? The, the Mothman isn't something that creates doom. The Mothman is just utilizing the portals that open up around these doom events in order to go in and out. And so it's not surprising to me in the least bit, something as catastrophic as this, and a lot of people died, as at a nuclear power plant, for one thing. I mean, that in and of itself is the creation of, of, of a portal, high energy, right? I mean, look, look at CERN, right? Like crashing two things together to create a portal, right? The, of, of atomic particles. So this nuclear power plants will have that aspect to it. It's, it's one of those like, lesser known, unknown aspects, at least by the general public, because, you know, people don't necessarily believe that these things are real. Portals can happen, but they do create these situations. So that's the thing, you know, Mothman shows up before it happens because it's not bound by time and it's all around the event, right? It makes you think about Chicago, you know, what's well, going on there? Well, it does. So, well, okay. With Oppenheimer coming out, I've just kind of gone into more research revolved around the um, the gadget, Oppenheimer himself, what really happened, where nuclear energy is being utilized today, like the whole gamut of things, right? And one of the data points that I found recently was that, you know, if I was to ask you, what state do you think utilizes nuclear power more than any other state? What, like off the top of your head, which state would come to your mind? Like, what would you think it would be? Man, that's just nothing I've ever thought about. I would think maybe not California. It, it would have to be a, a, a pure red state. Right. So yeah. you were thinking like maybe Texas. like yeah, Texas, there you go. I don't know. Something like that. Florida. Or, yeah, know. something, right? The, I was shocked to find that the state that uses the the most power plants is Illinois, dude. No way. Okay, that's really weird. What else is in Illinois, dude? Chicago is in Illinois, and that is where the most sightings of Mothman happen, bar none. That's crazy, too, because the other side of this is that where Mothman is, UFO sightings are there as well. Some people have even seen Mothman and UFOs sort of shapeshift into each other. Um, that, and we know the association of UFOs with these types of sites in general. We know the association. And, and okay, so when we originally looked at Mothman in Chicago, like what's going on, there was energy and portals that it was going after. But, but what we saw 
was more specifically related to something under the water in Lake Michigan. Like it almost seemed like ancient technology and ancient structure from Which, from way before the flood 12,000 years ago, right? Well, isn't, isn't there like supposed to be a pyramid at the bottom of right. Lake Michigan or something? Well, that's what we've seen, right? That's what we've seen with our data. We do know that there are um, some, there is a strange Stonehenge-like feature under Lake Michigan. Um, and we've seen that there is some type of pyramidal structure that that is somewhere in that area and that the Mothman is attracted to that. But the fact that you just bring up these nuclear power plants, like Illinois having the most, see, I think what would be interesting is to, is to track these plants visually, cameras, whatever, you know, far away, obviously, because you don't want to get in trouble for, you know, spying on a nuclear power plant. That's like not good these days at all. It would be interesting to know what sort of sightings are occurring around these plants. So when you look at the Mothman maps that you can find these days, especially in Illinois and Chicago, where are they congregating? You know, where are they congregating? That would be fascinating to know because a lot of UFO sightings occur around nuclear power plants as well as decommissioned nuclear power plants. That's really... Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Really weird. Yeah. There could be a link there. <laughs> there could be. You know, and and um, <clears throat> there was, okay, so it kind of gets a little bit weirder for me because I was, I was doing some work and every once in a while, if I'm doing work, uh, especially like certain types of design work, I'll keep the TV on in the background. Like I'll just put ancient aliens on or something like that. The new Godzilla King of Monsters movie comes on. And I was just like, ah, whatever. I'll just leave it on while I'm working. I was like barely watching, right? But I was like, every once in a while, I'd look up and I would just see what was going on. I'd forgotten. I'd seen that movie before, but I'd forgotten kind of what happened. Like the story of Godzilla is like totally relevant to this conversation because Godzilla in the original Godzilla movie, Godzilla was a, a reptile born of nuclear radiation, essentially, that grew large and attacked a city in, in Japan. Like, now you have to understand at that time, especially when this movie came out, we're talking about the entire country of Japan being terrified of nuclear technology because of what happened at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so now they're putting kind of all of these fears into an actual cryptid that comes to attack a city. Right. right. But what was so even weirder is like, you know, there. Who is the like in the Godzilla verse? Who's the second most popular 
uh, monster. Mafra. Mafra. Hey. <laughs> Wait. No, 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 no. Wait. Mothra, Mothman, yeah. what are you getting at, sir? <laughs> I just think it's a weird coincidence. That's, that's right? amazing. That that's weird. Okay, that is weird. But it's like I that's just kind of really... feel like sometimes we get. I don't know. Like I don't think I think these things are a coincidence. But at the same time, it's like is there? It, I just feel like we're we're like living in some kind of. Oh story sometimes you know well that's the thing okay so you know you get people who are writing these stories and they're tapping into their own intuition into rights into writing these stories when they don't even really know that they are but that's that is that is really an interesting little construct there that you pointed out that you saw that's that's weird that is weird it's super weird and and the fact that Godzilla was basically powered by atomic energy and reptil reptiles actually have much more of a resilience to right. radioactivity than other things like alligators and crocodiles can kind of like exist and thrive in those environments in in a really weird way that other animals can't so that's also really strange and, um, you know, in the movie, too, there were some interesting concepts. That movie, the Godzilla, the King of Monsters, basically was an, a new and improved rehash of the original Godzilla. Because what the military was trying to do in the movie was to kill Godzilla using an oxygen bomb. That happened in the original film. And I found some other details out, too. Like, that putting that movie on was, like, near impossible for them. The Godzilla costume that that dude had to wear in the original Godzilla movie was 200 pounds. Like the Japanese wow. dude that played Godzilla had to wear a 200 pound costume to actually be Godzilla. Right. It's like right. And he's like, he's like stomping on a train set. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Weird. But yeah, like I, I didn't realize how much of, you know, Godzilla was, was kind of, really taking from stuff that happened in, in real life and was retranslating it to the Japanese people. But it, it was considered a like a horror movie. They were trying to process the national, uh, the national feeling that they had, the feeling that went across the nation of, of, of being hit by nuclear weapons, trying to process that is what I understand it to be ultimately, right? Godzilla was the representation of the bomb, um, and yeah. I, th I think in the original Japanese Godzilla, I think that was like what 1950s when they made that the movie was brought over to the U S and they sort of cut in American actors on it. Yes, That's just like, I mean, look at, I mean, it's actually so cool. Cause I like to build weird miniatures. I don't know. Just, it's a weird hobby that I have and sure. all the Godzilla stuff, like the movies, the, the, like, it's like the miniatures they built were pretty epic. And then they had a guy in a 200 pound suit, just like stomp around and smash them all. That is like, it's like a, it's like a Tibetan sand painting, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where they destroyed at the end. It's like a Tibetan sand painting starring Godzilla. <laughs> starring Godzilla. <laughs> John, I'm aware that there are other things going on at nuclear power plants, plants around the country that you have some some data on and there is there isn't there one kind of you know 
near ish where you live. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the, <clears throat> excuse me. It's the Hanford uh, nuclear site. So this is like, uh, it's in Eastern Washington in the desert E kind of areas like grassland uh, desert. That was the first nuclear site created to support the Manhattan project, the original building of the first atomic bomb. And they were processing plutonium there. 1943, they commissioned it. That site is now decomm decommissioned, so they say. I mean, it's, it's not really, um, who knows what sort of weird black projects go on in these sites because nobody can go into them. Um, right. It's very dangerous. And that place is highly, highly, highly contaminated. So contaminated, so many accidents there. They didn't know how to, well, I don't know if they ever will truly figure out how to contain nuclear uh, waste. Uh, but back then, I think they just like buried it in, in the ground. <laughs> so guess what happens? All that leaches into the Columbia River. But during the day, the heyday of this site, there were tons of experiments going on. Um, they were experimenting on animals there. They would keep pens of animals in areas that were irradiated and probably doing other things in order to understand what that radiation was going to do to them. But the other <clears throat> bizarre side of this is that they actually were using crocodiles because you brought up crocodiles earlier. They brought in crocodiles and had a pen full of crocodiles that they were irradiating. That's pretty interesting. Then what happened was <clears throat> the crocodiles actually got out. They escaped, right? So we're talking about God knows what kind of crocodiles they've turned themselves, they've turned them into that escaped from the Hanford nuclear power plant. And these crocodiles, some of them got into the Columbia River. So this was in the newspapers. Like this was reported on. Crocodiles escaped from nuclear uh, waste facility get into the Columbia River, and they spent weeks searching for these, and I think at least one they did not find. So that one could be somewhere in the, I highly doubt it is now, somewhere in the Columbia River. So what were they doing? What were they doing to these, what was their intention? Well, like looking into that, obviously, you know, this kind of stuff's classified. Um, so I don't know what sort of like, you know, problems that can cause by you know, remote viewing it, but whatever. These crocodiles, what they were trying to understand was uh, uh, some behavioral implications, for one, because they're trying to understand behaviorally what this will do to these animals. Because one thing that the military loves and wants is to use animals for operations. Like they use dolphins, they'll use sea lions, in order to protect ports, in order to protect ships, in order to spy. Look at these reports, for instance, that came out of um, Iran, where there's yeah. like newspaper reports of like uh, the CIA was using um, lizards or squirrels as like spying apparatuses, like letting them loose and they had spy gear on them. So they were using tiny squirrels and lizards strapped on with like some type of spy gear and then sending them into Iran. Something like that. Some, we, <laughs> I don't know what the details are around that. Um, and so you look at the military, like the military will use animals to do stuff like this. It's a, it's, it is something that they've done and it's something that's public. 
And so with the Hanford site, same thing, like trying to figure out how to use crocodiles in military applications. And like, so get back to the squirrel thing really quick. So the, the squirrel thing is really bizarre because this was back probably an experience that I had around 1999, 2000 timeframe, working in a remote viewing think tank, a civilian think tank. And, and we had gotten some death threats, which we would get, you know, we would get these death threats like over the phone and stuff that were part of some kind of like paramilitary operation against us because we were not controlled in any way. We were a think like civilian think tank. So I would go meet with my partner in the business and we would go meet when we had a death threat, we would go meet in an area where that was public and had noise, right? So we went and we met at, at the beach because there's people around and there's <clears throat> a lot of white noise from the waves. So we're sitting there and we're talking about the death threat, right? There are these squirrels running around us and we're just sitting there talking and we're looking at the squirrels. We're going, those squirrels are acting really robotic and like, and getting closer and closer to us. And so we just started laughing about it, basically saying like, what if the squirrels are spying on us? What if they're using robot squirrels to spy on us? Okay, so what happens next is that two guys show up, come really close to us. They start pointing at the squirrels going, those squirrels, huh? those squirrels are funny. They look like little robots. Look at those squirrels. They look like little robots. And then what happened was I'm going, my spidey senses are going crazy at this point. And I'm going, we're, we were tracked here. So I look down the beach and I see like these guys with high powered cameras pointed at us. Then behind us, this other guy, aside from these two guys dressed normally, like in California, casual clothes is walking by with, you know, those little uh, throwaway cameras. Um, like they're, they're like 35 millimeter. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he, he's walking by us. He's got one in his hand <clears throat> and as he walks, he's clicking the button, winding it, clicking the button, walk. It's just sitting at his side. It's like hanging at arm's length, sitting on his, at his side with the lens pointed at us. So he walks to the end of the pier. There's like a little pier or a jetty there. And then I'm just watching him. And I'm trying to watch these other two guys because they were dressed really weird, like, like, like Midwesterners who had never been to the beach. And then that guy walks back with the camera. They go behind this RV and I get up and I run around to look at what they're doing. The guy, California cla casual clothes, hands the camera to one of the guys that was talking about the robot squirrel, shook his hand and they parted ways. We were being completely, totally watched, spied on. That meeting was being spied on by some operation, could have been interagency operation, that they wanted to know what we were meeting about. And the whole squirrel incident, either they were picking us up with laser mics talking or something, because we never had phones or anything with us, no electronics, or those, those squirrels were spying on us. <laughs> Well, and it like reminds me of how, you know, one of the funny, funny things on the, on social media is like birds aren't real. Right. Like, people are convinced that birds are just like spy mechanisms and they're not real. Right. Of course, like it's a joke mostly, but there's some people out there that really just think that 
that these birds are are just spies. Birds aren't real. Birds there, aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. Oh, oh my this is gosh. a New York Times yeah. article. And it Peter, oh, what does that caption say? Peter McI in Doe, the 23-year-old creator of Birds Aren't Real movement with his van in Fayetteville Arc. Inside a Gen Z conspiracy theory. You have to understand that the, the, the military, the intelligence services are going to use anything they possibly can. So with the crocodiles, controlling their behavior and using them in some way, right? Now, can it make them super crocodiles, big, larger, massive? I don't know. Maybe, maybe it can. Um, you know, they'll use dogs in war, right? To attack, right? I mean, if, if they had an animal of apex predator that they can turn into something they can use to attack, controlling them a leg up they've got a huge leg up man because that's that's a big deal that's a big thing so a lot of military research was going into and funding was going into seeing what they could do with reptiles with other animals they didn't just try irradiation they tried all other things like lsd and all sorts of stuff everything they do on humans they do on animals too to see how they can control them. it's like mk ultra for animals that's crazy. Yeah. So one of these one of these uh, alligators or crocodiles got loose from this place, right? And did a bunch you... of them got loose. They captured some, killed them, and one I don't think they ever found. Did you guys remote view this at all? Yeah, that's this is all from the data. They were trying to they were literally trying to do genetic mutations more towards behavioral control. Because if they can control like they can teach dolphins how to protect ships or how to spy. They wanted to use a crocodile in a way that they can control it behaviorally. Working on that method with irradiating it and to understand the genetic mutation paths that they would take and okay, what they and could so, use that for. So did you so were you able to determine in the remote viewing data that that any of those crocodiles were still alive and in the that river that it escaped into? I don't Hard think do, so. Right? No, I, 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 I don't think it's alive. The, the last one that they couldn't find, I think that one just died probably a while ago. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this, this particular article, uh, Iran claims the West sent lizards as nuclear spies. It's pretty interesting. Um, and to like, to kind of go over this briefly, senior military advisor to Iran's Supreme leader claimed in a press conference that Western nations had deployed reptiles as nuclear spies. He kind of justified the arrest of environmentalists by claiming that the West had used scientists and environmental activists to spy on Iran's nuclear program by deploying lizards that could attract atomic waves, which is kind of weird because we were just talking about these tests that were being done on, on these lizards, right? It almost kind of, it kind of, parallels what you were just saying and yeah all right now multiple activists were arrested for transferring intelligence to foreigners and it's likely that more activists will be arrested said one of the head of iran's justice department they said that foreign governments often use scientists and environmental and envir environmental tourists as spies when one group was detained iran officials found they had a variety of reptile desert species like lizards and chameleons in their possession. We found out that their skin attracts atomic waves 
and that they were nuclear spies who wanted to find out where inside the Islamic Republic of Iran we have uranium mines and where we were engaged in atomic activities. Response from the science editor of that article that reported on it said, quote, that's insane. <laughs> now, what's so weird about this is, is the Godzilla story that we, were, that we were talking about earlier. It's like reptiles almost thriving in these strange environments with radioactivity, attracting the atomic waves in right. ways that other animals don't. It kind of makes you wonder, like, is the crocodile a result of some ancient radioactive accident in the first place? I know that's a stretch, but it's still weird, right? It is weird. I mean, you know, we've seen... Okay, so, you know, we've, we've looked at, for instance, um, asteroid belts and asteroid belts in other solar systems to try to understand how those things formed. It's a really easy thing to figure out with remote viewing data because they will tell you if something formed naturally or artificially. And um, what we see, at least with the asteroid belts that we know, they were, they were reptilian-type beings with mammalian-type beings fighting against each other, and they did have nuclear weapons. They did have nuclear weapons in these things, and that was, you know, as well as other types of high-powered weaponry. And so when we looked at one, for instance, there were reptilians that were, that were terraforming a planet and they were, they had the intent to take over the planet next to them where, where there was a mammal like species living on intelligent mammals that are actually related to us. The mammals completely radiated the planet and blew it up where the reptilians were. Right. And humans seem to be this like cross breed result from reptiles and mammals, but mostly mammals. You know, based on remote viewing data, I, I know that these beings use that type of energy. You know, they use that, that type of energy in their, their, their research. The, the radioactive energy, you mean? Yeah, the radioactive energy is, is going to be way more extreme than what we can even conceive of on what they can do with it. Who knows? Maybe they're part tardigrade. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And actually, here's another article that that goes along with what we're saying here. Nuclear power plant site, Reptilian Utopia. Okay, now this is all about crocodiles. Let's go through this. So the American crocodiles numbers were dwindling in Southern Florida with fewer than 300 in the state by 1975. They were listed as endangered. But just two years later, something unexpected happened. Employees at the Turkey Point Nuclear Generating Station, about 25 miles south of Miami, spotted a crocodile nest among, among the plant's man-made network of cooling canals. The company that operates the plant set, so they're attracted to this canal, dude. Think about that. They're attracted to this canal. They get into the canal. The workers there see this, and then they decide that they're going to set up a program to monitor and protect the crocodiles that had settled <laughs> in this unusual habitat. No, no wait, wait, no. This, is, this is the kicker. <laughs> Ever since, the population has been booming, so much so that today, 25% of the 2,000 American crocodiles that now live in the U.S. call Turkey Point, where the nuclear power plant is, their home. 
This site is responsible for downlisting the species status from endangered to threatened, which hardly ever happens, by the way, in 2007. They tag, monitor, and relocate crocs to habitats they've created for crocodile nesting. Thanks so much for saving that monstrous and evil race of reptilians. That's insane. You, okay, so the surface that's the surface story, right? <laughs> To me, that's just the surface story I know. meant for the public. No, no, there's something else <laughs> going on here. Yeah. We might need to look into this a little bit more. But but <laughs> yeah. what kind of blowing my mind is just how ridiculous of a story Godzilla is, and yet how strangely close to some truth that it is at the same time. Right. The absorption right. of radiation makes Godzilla more powerful, makes him bigger. Okay, so as if this episode couldn't have gotten weirder, John brought something up earlier in the episode that we're going to have to dig into in part two of this nuclear site um, series, which is the strange instances where it has been reported that Mothman morphs into a UFO. First of all, what? And two, why are UFOs seen around nuclear sites so much? In part two, we're going to be getting into all of this. Uh, John, thanks so much for being with us. And for all of you at home, we hope you thought this episode was as out of this world as we did, because, um, you know, I might have nightmares tonight. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next time.